0: When looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Well, excuse me! Looking for good ideas for life? You're far from good hands. Hey bud, what's your problem? If you think the listener is always right, you're far from the right place. Out of order. Even in the future, nothing works! Hosted. By a Northeasterner by birth, but a rebel by choice. Are you threatening me? If you want a host that floats between love and madness, and we know the night is always gonna be here anyway, thinking of working up my appetite, looking forward to a little afternoon delight, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. Alright, guys, uh, listen to this blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? creators of this game do understand the subject matter may be offensive to some, but they do honor the families and people that have been affected by these real-life tragedies that these individuals have caused. Want to play a game?
1: Oh yeah!
0: Lover of True Crime? Yes, yes, yes. Well, we got an interesting game for you to check out. Wow! With the mashup of influences such as horror movies, collecting cards, and RPGs. What? Led to giving birth to an incredible creation of this game Killers the Card Game. You are all my children now. This game is a collectible trading card game featuring some of the most infamous killers with tidbits of trivia on the back of each card to help you learn some insight to each criminal. Who the hell are you? Let's not forget, during the game, cops will be chasing you and these criminals.
1: I'm a cop, you idiot!
0: However, check out their website listed through all social media today, which can be found under Killers, the card game. Am I on the internet? I want to play a game.
1: Hi, it's Jackie Callan, the First Lady of Boxing. And I don't know about you, but I listen to Crazy Train Radio, and so should you. It's a knockout.
0: Hey, folks. It's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Rock Jonathan Steele. Boy do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. This next guest is certainly a trailblazer, as she has done many firsts in the boxing world. As first, she was a publicist for the great Tommy Hearns. Of the great flooding city of Detroit to move on to become the first female boxing manager for folks such as Bobby Hitz, Bronco McCart, and the legendary James Tony. She is going to be inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame this coming June. But let's go ahead and welcome Miss Jackie Callen. Jackie, how are you?
1: Congratulations. I'm Thank you. I'm happy to, induction. I'm happy to talk to you,
0: but congratulations on the induction into the hall of fame in June.
1: I really appreciate that. I, I'm really honored. And uh, to be the first female boxing manager ever in, inducted is great because when you're the first, you're always the first, you know, no one else can ever take that away from you. So I'm, I'm really excited about it and uh, you know, it's a privilege and um I'm just very happy that they selected me. Finally, after 45 years in the business.
0: Hey, you're still the first though. But, you know, I also have to send congratulations for the same award from a friend of mine who is my boxing guy, Mr. Brian Young. Who, when I brought it up, he unfortunately he couldn't be here tonight. But he has a mutual friend with you in Mr. James Tony. He's very good friends with James and whatnot. So Brian made sure and put a gun in my head. Make sure you congratulate Jackie for me, which oh, I said
1: tell him thank you so very much. And you know, uh, if it wasn't for James Tony, I, I doubt that I would would be where I am. And we kind of made each other, so to speak. You know, I found him and he found me at the same time. He needed a manager and I was there. And it just clicked. And for six years, um, it was magic. And we really accomplished a lot together. And I'm just really proud of all of his accomplishments. And of course, he got in the Hall of Fame a couple years ahead of me, but um, it's just so great to see him there and uh, know that now I'll be there with him. And so that'll be our legacy that we're both in that same International Boxing Hall of Fame together.
0: Yeah, and the funny part is that Brian had told me is him and James started at the hall of fame every year there in New York, a smoking club because they oh, both yeah. are gentlemen that enjoy their cigars.
1: Oh yeah. James loves his cigars. I think so,
0: he has a cigar company now and he sells his own cigars. Hmm. I'll have to ask Brian about that. He never told oh, me yeah. that. Oh yeah. Ask you him got about
1: me. James Tony's cigars. Yeah.
0: He, he always talks about, you know, i'm enjoying time sitting and talking you know over a cigar every year at the hall and such telling stories and learning and such but so i'll have to ask about that when i talk to Brian. but backtrack a few years before the managing deal okay the journalism you yeah
1: that was my background
0: yeah you interviewed folks like the rolling stones sinatra elvis countless others and for me, that is awesome. Even though I'm only 39, I appreciate that you had a chance to be with Old Blue Eyes, who was another Jersey guy.
1: Absolutely. And Elvis. So. And Michael Jackson and, and a lot of other very iconic people that were cultural icons you know, in the last century. And for me, as a young girl starting out in journalism, to be able to interview people like Elvis and to get close to people like the Rolling Stones, the Beatles. I covered the Beatles at Chase Stadium in New York. I was able to really be part of some very special Bob Dylan concerts, Um, a lot of the early Kiss concerts. Um, I've been friends with people like Frankie Valli and the Beach Boys and some of those early rock and roll bands, Bob Seger and all the classic rock from the '60s, '70s, '80s, '90s. It was really a special time, and for me to cut my journalistic teeth, so to speak, with icons, uh, including presidents and uh, sports legends, the Magic Johnsons, and the you know um, the 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 football and baseball and basketball players, the Barry Bonds and and the the Ron Duguays, And the Wayne Gretzky's and you know, the greats of all the different sports. I mean, it it was just a miracle. So by the time I got into boxing, I already had such a rich background of of journalism that um, it became an easy transition because I started as a boxing writer. I went from entertainment to sports. I I still did entertainment, but I added sports to it, uh, to you know what I did. And boxing just became one of the sports I covered, but it became the sport to me. You know, I, I just fell in love with boxing and went to work with Tommy Hearns, Emmanuel Stewart and the crock boxing team, which I was lucky enough to live near being here in Detroit. So I was able to spend 10 years studying boxing with Emanuel Stewart and Milt McCrory and Hilmer Kenty and all the Croc fighters. And so I learned so much before I ever struck out on my own as a manager. I learned from a manual, everything, you know, how to wrap hands, how to stop cuts, how to pick the right fight at the right time for your fighter, uh, what you look for when you sign a fighter. And so much that I, it was like a college education in boxing. And he was my professor. And may he rest in peace, he was just such a wonderful man to to know and and to learn from. And by the time I kind of set out on my own path, Managing first Bobby hits out of Chicago, then James, then Bronco McCart and Boom Boom Johnson and Pinklin Thomas and so many other fighters. I had that Emanuel Stewart mindset. You know, he, he really taught me a lot. And I think I was ahead of the curve because of that. You know, I didn't just come out of the box cold. You know, I had a really good, good mentor.
0: Well, you covered a lot of ground there and you kind of sort of beat me to the punch uh pardon the pun there since we are talking boxing as i pour myself a drink and how did a nice young jewish girl from detroit end up at cronk's gym covering boxing and connect with tommy hearns
1: it's interesting because i was sent on an assignment to do an interview on this young fighter turning pro out of detroit who was tommy hearns and i was fascinated by the sport i think it was more the fact that tommy hearns had the meanest look on his face i'd ever seen his stare at the beginning of the fight was like i was afraid and i wasn't even in the ring with him i was just sitting there ringside and i looked up and he had this look on his face like he seriously wanted to hurt this guy and i thought oh my gosh you know i I never saw anybody that angry what did this guy do to him he hates him and then after the fight when i went to talk to him he was like yes ma'am and so sweet and i went Where is that switch that you go from being this like nasty killer instinct to being this nice, sweet young man? I wanted to know more about the dichotomy of a person where you can go from one extreme to the other. So I did a story on Tommy and then I did an interview with Emanuel. Then I did an interview with Mickey Goodwin, who at that time was his other fighter. He only had two fighters at the time. And Emanuel hired me to be the publicist for the gym. And the first time I went down there to the Kroc Boxing Gym, it was such an eye-opener because it was 100 degrees. I mean, I never, it was like a boiler room. I felt like I was in a sauna. He kept it extremely hot so guys could make weight easily. They got used to that heat and it loosened up their muscles. It was really the way he trained them was to to train. It was like that kind of um, yoga that they do that, uh, what's it called? I don't do yoga, but there's a yoga that they yoga. Do. In the heat, you know? So he had the gym super, super hot. And, you know, I didn't know. I kind of walked in there, this, like you said, this white Jewish suburban mom. And I'm looking around, and I'm the only white person, certainly the only female. And they're all looking at me like, what's she doing here? And as I left there and got in my car, the first thing I noticed was a cockroach crawled out of my purse. And of course, I pulled over on the side of the road screaming because I'd never seen a cockroach. Um, I didn't grow up in an environment where there were any. And I was like freaking out, but it had been so hot in the gym all the time and so moist because it was in the basement that there were cockroaches. And after a while, I got used to them. I would just flick them away. But the first time I saw one, I was horrified. And that was my indoctrination. You know, this little prissy, girly Jewish girl coming home with cockroaches in her purse. It was like, oh, no, uh, I'm not going to have that. But I got used to it. And I got used to the sounds of the heavy bags of the speed bags. I got used to the smells. I got used to the, the whole rhythm of the gym. And it became like going to my office. And I started to feel more and more at home there. The guys were wonderful. The guys treated me like a big sister. Um, nobody really gave me a hard time. They were great. And I started to feel like the front gym was home. And eventually, I came to open and, and run my own boxing gym, which wasn't as hot, and we didn't have cockroaches. It was carpeted, and it was very chic. But the point being is that you can get used to anything, and I did, and I loved it, and uh, I would do it all again. It was just such a great experience, and I was a total fish out of water. I did not look the part, you know. I didn't dumb down or dress down. I went with my nails and my jewelry and my high heels and my designer clothes I didn't try to fit in I just went as who I am and they accepted me and I learned to love them and it was a a strange little relationship I had with all these fighters but it worked and it's still working 45 years later
0: yeah it's when you think about the story arc I guess we can call it from that start, those first couple of times in the gym, to now, over that 45-year period, it's amazing what you learn. But I want to mention, since you were talking about, I know you still have a good relationship with uh, Tommy, and there was a picture you shared recently on social media, which I got a kick out of. With me and my dog and him? Frankie, Yes.
1: Yes. Tommy and I see each other um, all the time. He lives close to me. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll just throw the dog in the car. and We'll go over and hang out for a little while. We'll go out to lunch or I'll pick him up and go to a fight locally or whatever. We're like best friends. And we've been best friends since he was 19 years old. So it's, you know, 45 years now, going on 46 years. And um, he's like the best friend that you could have. If I need something, he's there. And he knows if he needs something, I'll just pick up the phone. You know, he called the other day, his electric fence wasn't working. I said, Frankie and I are on our way. And I brought a contractor with me and we went out there to see what he needed to fix the fence. And if I have an event where I need him to show up, like tomorrow night, my friend's opening a restaurant. She said, I'd love Tommy to show up. Called Tommy, I said, meet me there at six. We have that kind of a synergy and a, and a connection. It's more like brother-sister at this point because we've been together so long, and he's been at my kids' weddings, and, you know, when I first met him, he was a kid. I was a young mom. Now I'm a grandmother, and he's a grandfather, and, you know, we talk about our kids, and we talk about our grandkids, and so much has gone on in in all the years that we've been together, so many occasions, birthdays, and, you know, anniversaries, and, and holidays, and things like that, so... I would say he's probably one of my best friends.
0: So what is that like before I move forward to, like you said, it's been 45 years going on 46. You guys have been around each other with births and deaths and anniversaries and weddings and grandkids. And, you know, just you guys share all these different life, you know, milestones. So what is that like for you to be able to have somebody like Tommy and other folks as well sharing these different milestones?
1: You know, at the beginning, it took a little while for us to bond. You know, I'm a white female from the suburbs. He's a black male from the inner city. Our backgrounds were very different. And, you know, there's all the isms, the racism, the sexism, the ages, and all the different things that would divide people. But none of them divided us. You know, um, neither one of us care about ethnicities or age or none of that. We're both the kind of people that just love everybody that we love and we don't care. So it was kind of an easy friendship right from the beginning because, you know, my being female didn't matter to him. Um, Over the years, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, are you two dating? Or, you know, sometimes when we even go out now, someone will come up and say, oh, Mrs. Hearns, do you mind if I ask him for an autograph? And I go, I'm not Mrs. Hearns, but you ask him, you know and Tommy will tell everybody, you know, we're just best friends, we're platonically best friends. A lot of people don't understand that a man and a woman, black and white, young and old, I mean, Tommy's 65, I'm gonna be 78. I mean, we have a lot of, you know, differences, you know, in, in our lives, but none of them matter because our friendship is so strong that none of that has any effect on our closeness. We're there for each other. And I feel that way if James needs something, Bronco McCart and I are still very close. Scotty Buck, one of my fighters. I was just in Florida, got together with Pinklin Thomas, who I used to manage. I see Tom Boom Boom Johnson, who I used to manage. I stay in touch with all my fighters because they were all my children. They were all part of my life. And I don't burn a bridge. That's one of the things I live by. If you're important enough to be in my life, you're always going to be in my life. And Mm -hmm. I don't have any grudges that I hold against anyone. Thank God I've never been sued. I've never been to arbitration with a fighter. I just like to keep peace and harmony in my life. And it's very important to me that I stay on good terms with anybody I've ever worked with. And, uh, and it's worked so far, and I'm going to keep it like that. And so all my old fighters are, are still in my family. So every once in a while, I'll have a reunion. And I'll, all the ones that are here in Detroit will come. And we'll either have a big barbecue, we'll go to a park. Or if it's in the winter, we'll go to a restaurant. And there's that camaraderie that we formed over the years. And it's a beautiful thing. I, I mean, right now, um, the fighters that I'm managing are younger than my own grandchildren. That's how long I've been in this. When I started out, the fighters were close to, you know, not that much younger than me. Then the fighters were my kids' age. You know, my two boys became really close to James Tony. They were all the same age. Now the fighters are even younger than my grandkids. So I've been through three different generations of fighters. And I still have the same passion for the sport. I still love my fighters. They're all my my family. And I don't know that the male managers could say the same thing because I think they have a different relationship. It's more of a business. Whereas for me, it's more family. So I think that's the difference between a female manager and a male manager, at least in my case.
0: And with what you were saying there is kind of set me off in a different direction quickly. And how come you mentioned about the different generations and you still had that fire Mm. in your gut? What is it? that still keeps that fire in your, in your belly there to still have the passion to do what you do.
1: You know, there's nothing like taking a young fighter and molding him, making all the right decisions, picking all the right fights and getting him to a world title and standing there when they put that belt around his waist. And he looks at you and you look at him and say, we did it. It's it, there's nothing like it. It's such a a gratifying situation. And the feeling of knowing that you changed somebody's life is just incredible. Um, My fighter now, Mike Vaughn Williams, who is 22-0 with two draws, he just won a WBA um, America's title a couple weeks ago. And just to see him, he's 27-odd years old, you know, and and my grandson's older than him. But like I said, to see him win that title and know that he's now getting up in the ratings and, you know, we're going to shoot for a world title. I still get the same thrill that I got when James won his title. There's still that idol maker feeling of saying, I took this raw clay and I molded it into a world champion. Um, It's a great feeling. And knowing that, like I said, that I've made a a profound difference in somebody's life. You can't put a dollar sign on that. It's more gratifying than any amount of money that you could make. It's the satisfaction of knowing that you accomplished something really big. And I still have that passion. I still want to take every young kid that comes to me with a passion for fighting, who has that hunger. And if he has the three ingredients that I look for, I'm ready to sign him and move forward. But they have to all be there, all three. And he has to have innate talent, he has to actually be a born fighter. If he doesn't have that born natural talent, he can't teach it. He has to be a disciplined guy that trains perfectly, first in the gym, last to leave the gym, doesn't drink or do drugs, he has to be disciplined. And then he has to have heart because you can't teach that. You can have a great fighter and he might be the most disciplined guy ever, but if he doesn't have heart, you know, you got to be willing to go balls to the wall in that, in that ring. And uh, when I find someone that's got all three, it's like, let's go, you know, let's get it on right. and let's go for that title.
0: Well, you just beat me to the punch. Cause I was going to be one of my next questions as far as a manager side of things of, what you look for in a fighter, but so I'll put it this way in terms of, yeah, there's three things that you look for with your fighters that you bring into your camp per se, but how do you know these guys or girls have that, what you're looking for?
1: That's a really good question because you don't always know. I've signed fighters that I was sure had the whole package and they were going to definitely go all the way. And something along the way, either an injury, uh, an attitude that I just couldn't put up with or bad habits. They'd they be late to the gym or some days they wouldn't come in. I'd check them in the morning, see if they were running, they were still sleeping, stuff like that. And it just, I just said, you don't have it. It's not going to happen. Um, so sometimes the ones you think are going to be great aren't. And then I've had kids that came to the gym that, I thought are marginal. I don't know how far they're going to go. And they've surprised me and gone a lot farther than I thought they would go. And a lot of it's psychological. You know, I'll get a fighter who has no confidence. Oh, I don't know if I could beat this guy. And he's tall, he's a southpaw, and I don't know. And I have to convince him of how good he actually is because he has that, that insecurity. And then I get the guy who says, oh, I could fight for a title tomorrow. You know, he thinks he's all that. And I have to say, hey, buddy, hold it. You're good. You're not that good, and I'm not going to risk it, and I'm not going to put you in over your head just because you think you're ready. I know you're not. So it's that psychological connection that I have to have with the guy where I can talk him up or down based on what he needs, and that comes from a background of psychology where at one time I wanted to be a therapist, so I did a lot of study, and that helps me a lot in understanding the different personalities of the fighters I work with so that I can try to get in their heads And work with their strengths and their weaknesses and it's been a real gift because you know I've been able to talk a lot of guys and girls into believing in themselves and uh, and going that extra mile
0: now when you bring on a fighter as a manager and I'm just learning the boxing game in recent I'd say in the past couple years really doing deep dives and Obviously, I know the legends, you know, your Lottery Holmes, your Ali's, your Tysons, et cetera, et cetera, Mayweathers down the line. But when you sign a manager agreement with a fighter, is it a fight-to-fight agreement? How does that the business side structure look like?
1: Well, that's different with every manager, I'm sure. You know, I sign like a three to five year contract and I guarantee a certain number of fights a year. And then I hook up with the promoter who will work together because for me, it's a four lane highway, four lanes. The fighter is here. He's, he's training and fighting. That's his lane. His trainer's over here. He stays in his lane and trains the fighter and they go straight ahead. I'm the manager. I'm in this lane. I stay in this lane. I don't cross over to the trainers. There's going to be an accident. Here's the promoter. Promoter is doing his thing, promoting. If he promotes and I manage and he trains and he fights, it's smooth sailing. We'll go right where we're going. If we start crossing over, there's accidents. So I always find fighters that don't try to manage. I find promoters that don't try to train. And I try to keep everybody in their own lane and it's a smooth ride. It's hard because sometimes you'll you'll have people that do try to cross over, tell the other one what to do. Um, and it's kind of up to me to keep them all straight and not get tangled up. You're the promoter. Please don't tell the trainer how to train him. Yeah, he needs to sit down more on his punches. I get that. He has to work on his footwork. Tell me, I'll tell the trainer, but don't you cross over into his lane. And if I keep everybody straight, it's perfect. So, you know, I'm kind of the traffic cop that keeps everyone in their lanes. And it seems to work and it's easier for me that way. I kind of do what I think makes sense because I'm always happy. I'm always in a good mood. I don't want stress in my life at this age and I just want happiness. I want my fighters to be happy. I want the trainers to feel rewarded for the work they do. And I want everybody that I come in contact with to feel better for, for, getting to know me and work with me. I don't want anybody saying, oh, wow, she was a handful or I don't know how I going to work with her again. I don't need that. I don't want that. Um, I'm just easygoing.
0: And I get the vibe of that from a little bit we've spent talking, setting us up, all that fun stuff. I definitely get that vibe. That's that Northeast uh, gut instinct I like to have. I want to go back to James for a minute there. And I'm sorry for bouncing all around here. But oh, there that's was good. One I week, like that. There was a year, and I don't remember what year it was when doing my homework because we know everything online is true. But there was a year that James did like 10 fights within a year, which just seems right. mind-boggling. Because you can't
1: do it today. You couldn't yeah. do it today. Impossible. But that was like ninety-one. And you know, we had monthly fights here in Detroit and they were on USA. So I was tight with the promoter. He built James, he built Bronco McCart. He worked with all my fighters. And so I put James on every card. And USA built him, people got to know him at home. You don't have that anymore. There's no more free TV for boxing. You don't even have cable anymore, no Showtime, no HBO. All you have is streaming like the Zone and ProBox and Fight. So if you don't subscribe to one of them, you don't watch boxing and you don't know who's who and the big fights are all pay-per-view and you don't build fighters the way we used to build fighters. Now everything's social media. It's a very different business, extremely different. So the way I brought up James, James fought for his world title in two and a half years.
0: Unprecedented with that.
1: Can't do it anymore. That was 30 years ago. Yeah. 35 years ago.
0: And you know, it's funny. It's, You're not the first person to tell me that because Lee Gross has told me that. uh, Brian Young has obviously told me that. I'm just saying that, you know, when all these people who know the game have said the same thing with the uh, structure of cable, like you said, where USA used to have fights, ESPN had the Friday night fights. You had Showtime. You had HBO. You had, you know, all these different... But now it's streaming. So... Has that helped or hurt the sport of boxing?
1: You know, that's the age old question. It's like people ask me all the time about Jake and Logan Paul. Has that helped boxing or hurt boxing? And Uh, so those are the uh, questions. That was one of my
0: questions, but go ahead.
1: Yeah. And so people ask me that. Basically, I think it's helped because it's got a lot of people watching boxing that didn't watch it before. So you can get, I would say, if I had a guy coming out of the amateurs, 200 fights, 180 and 20. Great (laughs) record. He's won all kinds of golden gloves, PAL tournaments. Nobody cares about him. No one's going to watch him. Jake Paul, he's got millions of followers. He can do pay-per-view and make millions of dollars. So he's, I think, brought a new life to the sport. Now, if you're a purist and you feel that the boxers should pay their dues, they should go through the amateurs, all of that, then obviously he doesn't fit that mold but is he bringing attention to it? You have to, because we're competing now with MMA. We didn't have MMA, you know, till 20 years ago. So we didn't really have to worry about UFC. And, you know, now we have UFC and we have the WWE, which has its audience. We have bare knuckle fighting. We have celebrity boxing. There's a lot of different choices that the viewer has. So if Jake Paul is bringing people to watch boxing, I give him credit for that. Plus, he's building a good team. He's got a gym down in Florida. I think he's good for the sport.
0: And I was thinking of Kenny Bayless. I don't know how I forgot that, but love Kenny. Kenny's a, he's a mensch, as they would say in Yiddish.
1: Great, great guy. The best. Yeah, he's a wonderful man.
0: But going back to uh, James, because I was, you know, like I said, we're bouncing all around here, folks. You know, it's funny that there was a rumor that went around and I'm curious to know about it because like I said, I'm still learning the game and the politics and all that fun stuff, but there was apparently rumors that your business relationship was considered controversial. Why was that?
1: My business relationship with James, James? I think what was controversial about it was after the Roy Jones fight, when he lost, he was very upset. It was his first loss. He was young. He did not know how to take it. And he kind of imploded for a little while. And he was very angry at everybody, including me. And um, it blew over, but the media just jumped on that, you know, and thought, oh my gosh, you know, look at that. He hates his managers. It it got blown way, way, way out of proportion. And um, we still continued to work together for another year after that. And then when his contract was up, he chose to go with someone else. It was hard. I I was heartbroken because he was like a son to me, and I I was very hurt. But he felt that was his best move for himself, and I just had to wish him luck. And like you would any kid that leaves to go to college or get married or move out, I had to just suck it up and say, I wish you the best, and uh, I hope it's the right decision for you. And it hurt, but um, it taught me a good lesson. And then I realized that fighters come and go in your life and they may stay for their whole career. They may not, and that's the nature of the sport. So it toughened me, and uh, it taught me a good lesson, and uh, I learned from it. So anything that goes wrong, any failure in your life is a lesson, and if you look at it as a lesson, it's not really a failure. It's just another stepping stone.
0: Exactly. You mentioned it earlier, but how did you or how do you go about picking and choosing the fights that fit your fighters at that particular time in their career
1: well it used to be really hard because we didn't have box rec and we didn't have ways to check records like today i can look up a fighter and i can not only know his record his win-loss record i can look up every fighter he fought and then every fighter that that person fought so i can really handicap a fight like i would a race a horse race i can look (laughs) at who really, who they've fought, uh, how many rounds they went, who knocked out who. If my guy fought a guy that's a common opponent and my fighter knocked that guy out in the first round, but the other guy that we're fighting went the distance with him, then I know that probably my fighter's better than the guy we're fighting. Because if he had to struggle with the same guy that my kid knocked out, that's a good sign. And conversely, if I see a guy that my fighter struggled to get a unanimous decision with, but the guy we're fighting knocked him out, then I have to look at that and say, hey, you know, that's, let's look at some of these things. So I handicap the fights. I look at who they fought. I look at when's the last fight they had. If my kid just fought and he's sharp, that's, that's a point in my favor. If the other guy hasn't fought in a year or a year and a half, another point in my guy's favor. Are we fighting in our hometown or his hometown? Or are we fighting in neutral ground? Is he with the promoter of the fight? Is he signed to that promoter? Are we the B side or the A side? These are all factors that determine the odds of whether your fighter you know, has a better chance to win or lose. So I factor in a lot of different things when I make the decision. Is this the right fighter at the right time? Records don't mean anything like they used to because mm-hmm. guys will fight a lot of average fighters to build a record. So if they say to me, I got a guy for you 20 and 0, a lot of managers go, oh, I don't want a guy undefeated. No, no, no. And then they give you a guy 17 and 3. Well, a lot of managers will say, oh, give me the 17 and 3 guy, not the 20 and 0 guy. But if I look at the guy that's 20 and 0 and he fought nobodies, but the guy 17 and 3, his three losses were to top 10 fighters and he went the distance and lost the decision. I don't want him. He's got a lot more experience with better fighters. I want to take the 20 and 0 guy that fought nobody. So you have to know what you're doing. You have to really handicap and look at every fight from all different sides. You know, again, it's where the fight is, who's connected to who, who are the judges, are they neutral judges? Um, there's so many factors. So you have to do your homework, and a good manager does their homework.
0: With all that being said, and it's funny, I was just texting Brian about the mention about the cigars quickly. And I won't say he lost bets on the cigars and James's cigar company, but we won't go there. But uh, he he got a laugh that I told him you brought that up. But with what you were just saying, would you consider yourself a purist when it comes to the fight game?
1: I think so. Yeah, I I am because I came up, Back in the early days of the 70s when there was still, you know, the Muhammad Ali's and the Larry Holmes and all the the really good fighters. I came up during the the era of the Four Kings, the Herbs, Leonard, Hagler, Duran era. I came up during the Mike Tyson, Evander, Holyfield years. So I think that I was exposed to some really, really legendary, iconic fighters. And then it makes it a little different today for me to see some of the fighters that people think are so great when I look at them compared to the early fighters, the Sugar Ray Robinsons and the Rocky Marcianos and the Rocky Grazianos and, you know, the Ezard Charles. And I became kind of a student of the sport and started watching fight tapes many years ago before there were YouTube videos. You had to actually get a VHS tape and put it in and watch it. And- real reel-to-reel. Real to real was even, you know, the earlier fights that I saw so I guess I'm a purist in the sense that I look for that old style throwback fight as far as you know I know what a really good fighter is so I kind of look for that so I'd say I'm a purist in that respect
0: well you're used to know when they obviously we advanced and all that fun stuff you had involvement with the contender Stallone and Mark oh. Burnett and all that so was that something that was good or bad for the sport at the time? And even now, looking back, hindsight, 2020.
1: I think it was good for the sport in the sense that it it, it got some mainstream people at home that watched it because of Stallone and, you know, were big Rocky fans. Um, the fighters they picked, there were 16 of them. Um, there's still 14 of them alive, Two, We lost two of them. Um, I stay in touch with a lot of them. We just did a reunion show last weekend um, with seven of them and myself. And um, it put a spotlight on the sport. It was supposedly going to find the next big world champion. Um, None of them really came out of there as superstars the way they thought that it would have been. And then the seasons after that weren't on NBC. They were on ESPN and different networks, you know, until it finally faded away. But I'd like to see it come back, maybe even as a female version. Um, I love the idea of a competition. I love the idea of the camaraderie of the guys that all live together and the relationships they form. They're all still really good friends. Uh, The 14 of them that are left, different ones stay in touch with each other. And it was a wonderful experience for me. Um, I had known both Ray Leonard and um, Stallone for probably... 20 years before we did the show so there was that familiarity going into the show and we all had the same dressing room the three of us so every day we go into the dressing room and wait for our times to go on and so there were so many days of just talking about stories Ray had so many stories and of course Stallone he's such an amazing man he writes he produces he directs he acts he's He's incredible and the nicest guy you'd ever want to get to know. I, I can't say enough about him. He's just so great. But spending that amount of time with two legends like that was a gift. You know, um, I would do it again in a heartbeat. It was so wonderful. And uh, I love those two guys so much. And it was just a real privilege to be able to be with them every day for a couple of months. I mean, it was a great gift. I'll I'll never forget that.
0: Nice to hear. I always want to connect with Stallone, even just oh. as a fan.
1: Oh, he's the best guy you'll ever meet. Yeah. Really.
0: Even just as a fan, it'd be great to say hello and whatnot, because I've heard.
1: And he's he is wonderful to his fans. A girlfriend of mine was uh, at a drugstore the other day down in Florida, and she ran into him and went over to him and said, hey, you know, I'm a friend of Jackie's. And he went, oh, how are you? And how's she doing? And he was so nice to her. She said, I couldn't believe... That I'm standing there talking to Rocky, and then the next minute it's like, oh my God, it's Rambo. You know, you see him and you and you see these iconic roles that he played flash before your eyes. And I mean, he's just an amazing man. I can't say enough about him. And his brother Frank's a pretty great guy too. they're They're just wonderful guys.
0: Frank could sing. <laughs> I'll, I'll put oh, that he, out there.
1: He can sing. He can play guitar. He is uh, an excellent hunter and he's an excellent marksman. He's very talented in a lot of ways. And I was friends with their mom, Jackie, and she was a character too. I loved her. And they're just great people. And um, to get to know them adds to your life. They're the kind of people that you want to get to know. They're exceptional. The Stallones are really great.
0: And especially because I'm from the Philadelphia area, Rocky is obviously, you know, considered a god. And I've heard stories of sly telling stories that whenever he's in the area and they just recently did a rocky day
1: in I december saw that. i saw that
0: yeah. he, he chuckles that when he's in town or in the area people don't see sly stallone it's hey you a rock hey you know and they think of the character obviously it's
1: well yeah and they even talk to him like that you Rocky, yeah, exactly yeah how's adrian yeah. Oh, you know. They get right away into that that mold, and yeah. that's who he is. Look at the statue they put up of him in Philadelphia. And people run up and down those steps. You know, it's so iconic. So, yeah, he, he's made his mark on the world in a way that few people do. I mean, you could drop him in the middle of a, a jungle somewhere, and they're going to know who he is.
0: Hey, this Rainbow, goes, how you doing, buddy?
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's known all over the world. He's like Muhammad Ali. Mike Tyson. Those are faces that are universally recognized, which is pretty amazing to be that iconic.
0: I'd like to explain something. Uh, You know, I ain't punchy. I got what you call like, I don't know, a relaxed brain, but I ain't punchy. You know, it's just the way I talk here. Well, speaking of recognition, they did a little movie in 2004 called Against the Ropes, which was a fictional story based on your story so what was that inspired like inspired also... by it yeah. was
1: inspired by it wasn't based on because it was based on it would have been more factual yes but um, they did the hollywood thing dang... yeah they did. they did
0: but what was that like to have that take the inspiration to make a fictional story based on what you did but also have meg ryan play yourself
1: I think what I got out of that the most was I've had so many young girls and young people in the last 20 years come up to me and say, can you give me some advice? How can I make it? I want to be a welder. I want to be, you know, a cement mixer or whatever different fields that they want to go into. And I tell them to go for it. You don't have to listen to other people tell you you cannot do something. If you believe you can do it, I always say, if you believe it, you can achieve it. And so I encourage a lot of people, and I think the movie showed that, that you can be a total fish out of water. You can be in a, a total anomaly in the in the field that you choose. But if you believe in yourself and you want it bad enough, you're going to get it and you can get it. And another important lesson that I've learned in life is there's a ladder that you climb to get to the top and you mm-hmm. cannot pull that ladder up with you when you get up there so that no one else could climb up there. You want to be the king of the mountain and you don't want anyone else up there that is so wrong you have to leave that ladder there and you got to reach down behind you and put your hand out there and help the other people that are climbing up behind you because i didn't have anybody ahead of me there was no female managers when i started i didn't have anybody that i could talk to that i could say well how did you handle this and what did you do in this situation because there was nobody i had a glass ceiling that i had to break through myself and I had a path that had never been walked before. And I had to walk that path and hit the bumps in the road and the weeds in the garden and all that. So I wanna be there for other people who are going through that same kind of a situation. And I wanna help them through that because I've been there. And so if I can clear the path for someone else, I feel that's my responsibility. So I learned a lot, the movie taught me that if you inspire people and motivate people, then you have to be there to help those people. And you have to be willing to answer every text, every email. Um, you just have to be available and approachable. And and I've tried to be that for all these years. And I'm so grateful for all the people that have reached out that I have been able to mentor and to be able to assist, give them a name. Oh, you are looking for a gym in your area? Let me tell you who to call. Oh, you're looking for a trainer? how about you call this one or that one? I mean, it's an honor to me to be able to reach out a helping hand to somebody else. And um, I I hope the movie did inspire a lot of people to walk a path that's never been walked before. That's what they're there for. They're waiting for that explorer to come along and clear the weeds and make a path. And so I I hope the movie did motivate people and inspire people.
0: Is there still sexism within the sport of boxing and such
1: there's all the isms there's sexism racism ageism you know all, all the isms are still in life you know it's you're going to find them in every walk of life you know certain jobs are going to hire you if you're over a certain age certain businesses want strictly males or females you know i have guys that wanted to be hairdressers let's say and they had a rough time because it was mostly women and and They'd say, well, you're not gay, so why do you want to be a hairdresser? I mean, there's stereotypes. There's people that expect everybody in this particular profession to look a certain way, to be a certain age, a certain gender, a certain whatever. And the isms are just there. They're always going to be there. You know, I was told a million times starting out to to be a ring card girl. They said, that's what you're suited for. Go get a bikini and be a ring card girl. Well, I didn't want to be a ring card girl. You know, that wasn't my goal. If I wanted to be a ring card girl, great, I would have. But that wasn't my goal. But people minimize you. If you look a certain way, you're blonde, you're petite, and so obviously you fit into this role. You don't know anything because you're a blonde bimbo, right? You don't know anything. So you had to prove, I did anyways, that I knew what I was talking about because I didn't look like a Don King. I didn't look like I fit in this business. And people still went by stereotypes, but I tried to show people that there is no stereotype. You can look how you look and still know a lot about your field. You don't have to look the part. And if I could have broken through a barrier in that respect, then I'm very happy I did because I wasn't going to change how I looked to fit the role. I wanted the role to accept me for how I was. And that took some work, but I did it.
0: And what you were just saying a minute ago about the ladder, Mm -hmm. it made me think of a quote that somebody told me long ago, and that the same people you see going up that ladder are going to be the same people on the other side of that ladder.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. I was just going to say, and that's why my theory of don't burn any bridges is so true. Um, I've worked with people that gave me a hard time and I didn't hold it against them. Excuse me. I didn't have a grudge. I said, I'm going to work with you somewhere down the line. Sorry, it's not right now. Um, but we may someday end up working together. So let's stay on good terms. And even people that were not kind to me or that cut me down or, or um, underestimated me, I smiled and said, that's okay. I'll be back and maybe we can work together. Never burned a bridge because you never know. Like you say, I'm going to meet the same people coming and going. So I don't want to have bad feelings and then have to try to make up. I'd rather always just be on a good term. And then if we can work together again, we will.
0: You just mentioned Don King. And obviously there are tons of stories out there about the man. Mm -hmm. What kind of dealings did you have with him?
1: Oh, I I dealt with him from the very beginnings of my career. You know, we always cross paths or, you know, a would be working with him or, You know, different fighters that I'd work with would be on his cards, whatever. I'm very close to Christy Martin, and she fought for him on all the cards with Tyson. And, you know, he was always pretty much very respectful to me. Um, We had a couple of instances where he tried to undermine me or tried to, you know, pull the race card, like, well, why do you want to work with a white woman? And, you know, my fighters were pretty loyal, and they said, hey, I'm happy with her, but thank you. And he respected that. And And I like the guy. I've always liked Don, and um, I had nothing but good relations with him. But I choose to have that with everybody. I don't want bad blood. I don't want to say anything negative about anybody because the minute you say something bad, it's gonna get back to that person, and then they're gonna have a hard on against you, and oh my gosh, it's just not worth it. And I just try my hardest to always have something positive to say. And you know, if somebody's done something really egregious and really bad, I'm not going to protect them and say, oh, they're great. You know, if you ask me, I'll tell you, watch out, watch your back. But I'm not going to smear anybody or go out of my way to hurt someone's reputation. That's just not who I am.
0: Yeah, and that's been my goal in 11 years of doing this. And yeah, there are stories about people and all that stuff and the dirt as people would like to go for but Mm -hmm. why what's that going to accomplish a few more clicks
1: you're right you know you're right and if you can see the bright side of everything and if you can find the good in everybody it's there i mean if you go out looking for someone to be an asshole or a jerk you'll find it because a lot of times they are you're looking at one
0: right here but
1: (laughs) oh stop i don't believe that but i tend to look at everybody in a good light and until they show me otherwise I only see the good. Now, if you show me a bad side, you know, that's on you. And then I might change my opinion. But as long as someone's nice to me, I don't care if someone tells me so-and-so's this and that, unless I see it for myself, I'll form my own opinion. I don't let anyone else's words affect me at all. And that's why I was able to survive in this business for so long. Because when people told me, oh, you can't do this, or you can't do that, or you don't fit in. I just said, okay, thank you for your opinion. And I respect that. Then I went about my business and did what I was going to do. I don't let the outside voices affect me. I've never been someone that was out there seeking approval. Like, oh, I want everybody to like me. If you like me, great. That's wonderful. And if you don't, that's okay. Nobody's liked by everybody. Mm -hmm. And we all make mistakes in life and I'm human, but I don't go out of my way to look for something bad in someone, and nor do I go out of my way to seek approval. I think water seeks its own level. Good people find each other, and I've been so blessed in my life and in my career that I've worked with so many wonderful people. I mean, the people that I work with even now, the Lou DiBella's and the Dimitri Salida's and the Carlos Linus's and the Bobby Hitzes and you know the, the Golden Boys and Bob Arum, and all, all the people that I deal with are, are just great to me. And maybe it's because I've outlasted so many people and, you know, I'm an OG now and, (laughs) uh, you know, I, I've stood the test of time, but I think when you give people respect, um, you get it back for the most part.
0: And yeah, I was joking there about myself, unless you give me a reason to be that asshole or whatever you want to call it. Right. Right. And like you said, if you don't like me, great. If you do, even better. My joke I always tell is that when I'm long gone from here, I'm going to be buried upside down. And that way those people can kiss my arse. But
1: there you go. But you know what? You can't please everybody.
0: Exactly.
1: Sometimes no matter how nice you are, there's always going to be someone that's a hater and they don't like you because you're nice and because you're successful and because you're down to earth and don't have an attitude they'll still find a reason to dislike you. So I don't worry about those people. They don't even, they, they're not even on my Richter scale. They don't even register. They're just, they're there, but <laughs> they're not important in my life.
0: Exactly. Final two. Favorite fighter of all time. Favorite fight movie.
1: Oh, oh, favorite fighter of all time. I love Joe Lewis being from Detroit. You know, I have a, my grandmother was his teacher. And so I have a special place in my heart for Joe Lewis, um, James is one of my favorite fighters, and Tommy Hearns. I got to put those three in my my favorite category. My favorite boxing movie I've seen them all so many times. I would I would say Raging Bull. I loved Raging Bull. I thought that was just excellent. You know the acting, the writing, everything about it. What's yours? Well, who's your favorite fighter, and what's your favorite boxing movie?
0: Hmm. Well, I obviously respect the greats, but I'd say favorite fighter, and because he has local ties, is Bernard Hopkins. He's a Philly oh. boy.
1: And he's an excellent man and an excellent fighter. So that's a good choice.
0: Movie, I gotta go, obviously, Rocky, that series. But right. I got a kick out of and obviously i would think there was a lot of tongue-in-cheek in it was grudge match
1: oh yeah right 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 yeah yeah but still i i mean and i love the rocky movies obviously i've seen except all. for
0: five no i tease people oh, shit I on like five all the time I but, liked yeah
1: six. um i liked them all i'm not as big a fan of Creed as i was of rocky because of the way they left him out and all that but that's just a personal thing but yeah. um Raging Bull, Robert De Niro was so incredible. And because I knew Jake LaMotta so well and he was like an uncle, you know, and I felt so close to him. The movie was just an eye opener because by the time I met him, he was older and mellower, but to see (laughs) how he used to be, was like, oh my gosh. So yeah, I, I mean, I loved Raging Bull.
0: Well, we're talking on the 29th of January, And this will be out in a day or two. But does any of your talent have anything coming up fight-wise?
1: Oh, I'm waiting for my Kwan, who just won, um, to have a fight coming up, hopefully in April. And then I want him to fight again in June at the Hall of Fame weekend. If that works out, that would be an honor for me to have him fight that weekend I get my my you know induction. And then my fighter, I have a fighter here, Sam Rizzo, and he's fighting in March. He's a hundred and thirty pounder, so they they're both coming up. And then I got a call today from the city of Detroit, and there's talk about um, having a street naming for me. And I mean, I, I was like overwhelmed. I did have a street named after me in my city. It's like, oh my gosh! So they're they're putting a proposal together for the city council, and and I mean, that would be just the biggest honor. So you know, every day is a new hurdle, a new challenge, a new accomplishment. And whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, I welcome every day. I mean, when you get up in the years that I'm at, you know, in the higher 70s, you never know. Nobody knows what tomorrow brings. You could be 30 and get hit by a car. But I cherish every day. The more I seem, the older I get, the more I value the time with my kids and grandkids and my fighters. And, you know, every day is, is a gift to me. Maybe that's why they call it the present, because it is a present. But um, I'm just trying to enjoy my life and change the lives of the people around me every which way that I can. And uh, just be a happy camper. And, you know, like I said, getting in the Hall of Fame is a great honor. And, you know, to do these podcasts, be able to talk to someone like you and and spread the message of positivity and believing in yourself and going for whatever goal you set for yourself. I love doing that because I think people need to hear that. You, you have to know that a positive attitude is going to get you a lot further than bitching, complaining, and, you know, being down on yourself. None of that works. You know, you can't get light out of darkness. So you have to, you have to have positive vibes to get positive results.
0: Absolutely. And congratulations on the hall of fame. Brian's trying to talk, Brian's trying to talk me into coming up, which it's not much of a twist of the arm, Well, how
1: far is it from Philadelphia to Canastota? It's not that far.
0: Well, if I remember correctly, he told me that's near Syracuse, correct?
1: Yes, it's right by Syracuse. Yeah.
0: So it's probably about four and a half, five hours.
1: That's nothing. I think you should come. I think it's going to be a great weekend. I think you'll... Have you ever been to Canastota for any of these? Never. Well, this would be the one to come to because then you could see me get inducted. And I want as many people there as possible i want it to be a weekend that i'll never i'm sure it's gonna be a weekend i'll never forget but so many people say i want to be there and i'm going to meet you and i say you better be because i i'm writing down all the people that say they're going to be there so hopefully you'll get your little butt there and we can have breakfast or something
0: yeah well put me on that list i'm i'm definitely interested
1: jackie thank you so much such a pleasure you asked great questions and it was really really fun so anytime you run out of guests call me up
0: i got you
1: I'm Kenny Bayless and hey, listen to Crazy Dream Radio. It's one of the best podcasts that I've known of, but I've done many. Listen to them.